Hey, welcome into Positive Light. We're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's episode is going to be on what is church? So when the word church comes up in a conversation, the first thing we think of is a building. We have this mindset that the church is a place we go to on Sundays. As we get our family dressed, fight through traffic, and get a good seat, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we aren't just going to church. We are the church. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul describes the church as people dedicated to doing whatever it takes to reach out and help others. We have a responsibility to serve and help others in need as the church. Caring for each other as well as those outside of the church is the quickest way to see Jesus change lives. Too often, we see a need and wait for the pastor or someone on staff to take responsibility, but that's not the way the church works. Each of us has been given skills, abilities, and opportunities to serve. In Timothy's church, for example, the women ran a widow's ministry, and elders directed church affairs, while others were devoted just to teaching and preaching. In the Bible, church is always a reference of two people, not a place. The church is a body of believers that live out the gospel in their words and actions. The church is at its best when people inside the building take Jesus' message outside the building and serve those they meet. So Rick Warren writes, you're called to belong to the church. You're not just called to do, you're called to belong. The Bible says God is the one who made all things, and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children share his glory out of Hebrews 2.10. God doesn't want his children to become orphans. He puts them in a family, and God's family is called the church. You are called to belong to his church. In Ephesians 2.19, the Bible says this, So now you are not visitors, strangers. Now you are citizens together with God's holy people. You belong to God's family. So the word for church in the Bible is the Greek word ekklesia. It comes from the word kaleo, which means called. Ekklesia literally means the group of people who are called by God. You know what that means? The church isn't an event. It's not a building. It's not something you go to to. The church is something you belong to. It's a relationship. You're called to be part of a family with all the other people God has called. Church is not a burden or a rule or a requirement. It is family. And you will only ever get to know God and his purpose for your life when you are in a community with God's family. Belonging to the church will be one of the greatest blessings and sources of encouragement in your life. You don't want to miss on that. The church isn't the building. It's the people, like we've talked about before. And I've heard that statement more times in the last four or five months than I have in my entire life. Honestly, I didn't know how many people actually believe that idea until now. But I see that idea or the practical equivalent expressed just about every day on social media. And for the record, I think that statement is true. The church has never been a physical location. Going to church while I get the idea is one of the most inaccurate statements we can make as a Christ followers. Church isn't a location we travel to, it's who we are. We don't go to church, we gather with the church. The church is not a weekend function to attend, but a family of people to belong to. However, I think that if we aren't careful, we'll use the phrase the church is the people in a way 
that is just as inaccurate as thinking the church as a place we go. Because while the church is the people, there are two specific instances when the people aren't the church. The first, the church isn't the people when the people are disconnected from each other. One of my greatest concerns with the overuse of this phrase in our current culture is that I believe it is being used simply as an excuse to remain disconnected from other followers of Jesus. That is precisely the opposite of what the church is. If you look at the word for church, like we talked about before, ecclesia, it is the word used for, for the assembled covenant people of God. It is not used for individuals that make up people of God. It's been fashionable to minimize the importance of gathering on Sundays for years. Ideas like, I don't need the church to follow Jesus, or I can follow Jesus on my own, had been prevalent in our individualistic culture, and the pandemic, I believe, accelerated this. It sounds great, maybe even spiritual. It's just completely unbiblical. What makes us a Christ followers uniquely the church is the fact that we gather. The Bible knows absolutely nothing of I can follow Jesus on my own without others. In fact, passages like in Hebrews 10, 24-25 explicitly rejects that kind of thinking. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meetings together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When we intentionally choose to disconnect from each other, we cease to really be the church. Now let me be clear. I firmly believe the connection can happen through an online platform. Online relations and connections are just as real, and often more so, than in-person ones. So this is not a directed at the person who, for a variety of reasons, may be choosing to pursue connection with the church online in this season. That's one thing. It's entirely another to have distanced yourself from the church during this time, and to use the church as as not a building, but the people to do it. Because while the church is the people, it's only the people when the people are gathered together. The gathering doesn't have to be huge. Jesus put his stamp of approval on gatherings as small as two or three. But even a gathering of that size requires getting out of our individualistic bubbles and connecting with the others. And the second, the church isn't the people when the people aren't on a mission. Gathering together is only part of what makes us the church. It's not just a question of whether we are together. It's also a question of what we do while we're together both while we are gathered and while we are going about our lives throughout the week. The church is the gathered people of God, but the church is more than a gathering. It's more than a moment that happens on the weekend. It's more than a meeting. Consider what Jesus said in Matthew 16:8: I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's the thing about gates. They are a defensive mechanism. They can only keep something out. The implication being there is something they need to stop. The clear picture Jesus paints of the church here is one that is advancing forward and taking back what the enemy has stole for the rightful king, Jesus. The church here is not a moment on the weekend. It's the movement that not even hell itself can slow down. So why, especially in America, does it seem the church is slowing down? Well, I would argue that it's because the people have stopped being the church because they've stopped being on a mission. 
When we begin to think of the church as a place to be safe from the world, we've lost what it means to be the church. When we think of the church as a place we huddle safely with our Christian friends, we've lost what it means to be the church. The church is not a safe space for Christians until the trumpet sounds. The church is meant to be an army advancing through the world with the good news of Jesus, committing to reaching people far from God and giving them a chance to respond to the gospel. That is our mission. And I believe that when we commit to that mission, it truly is unstoppable. Jesus promised that. The only thing that can stop the mission of the church is when the people get off mission. And when the people get off mission, they're no longer being the church. The church is certainly not a building, but it's more than just the people. It's the people connected to each other on a mission together. When that's happening, the church becomes an unstoppable force that changes the fabric of the community it's part of. So next, I'd like to introduce a song to you, and it's called They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love by Tommy Walker Ministries. And here it is.
together, ready? Oh, by our love, that's right. By our love, help me brother. Hey, what a great song by a Tommy Walker. And here's what he said regarding this song. He said, I've known this song my whole life. And every decade has passed. We have always said, now more than ever, before we need to show the world our unity and love, well, in light of our device politics, p- pandemics, wars, and the ability to show off our hatred so easily online, I'm going to say it again. Yes, more than ever. The, w- the way the world will know we are Christians and that Jesus is the Messiah is through our love. I pray that this new arrangement of this old song will help remind us what matters most isn't how much we know, but how much we love. John seventeen twenty one. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So next, I want to look at uh, the early church. And it's kind of a story of the early church. And here's how it goes. So so the twelve disciples called everyone together and said, I wouldn't be right for us to neglect preaching the word of God in order to serve at the table. So choose seven men from among you whom everyone trusts, men fully of the Holy Spirit and good sense, and will assign them to the task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and speaking of God's word. Perhaps the twelve thought waiting at tables was somehow beneath them, or that preaching was more important. How quickly they had forgotten what Jesus had said to them at the last meal they shared together. Kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like a junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves at the table? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And yet... There they were saying, I wouldn't be right for us to neglect preaching in order to serve at a table. They had not listened to Jesus. But others understood. Among the seven people chosen to serve the widows were Stephen and Philip. Stephen later stood before the Sanhedrin and told the story and was stoned to death for it, becoming the first martyr of the church. And Philip took the good news to Samaria, even telling the story of a man from Ethiopia, someone from the ends of the earth, baptizing him before he returned to Africa. These men who waited at a table acted as apostles, doing just what Jesus had told the disciples too. Whereas the disciples stayed in Jerusalem and argued about who was truly welcome into the kingdom.
But they did finally learn and went their separate ways, taking the good news of the kingdom, the story of God, wherever the Spirit led them. The host body slumps forward, for many of them telling a story has cost them their life. Peter was killed in Rome after the great fire, crucified just as his Lord was. Paul was beheaded, being a Roman citizen spared him from crucifixion. The Ecclesia still feels these losses deeply, and tears come to the eyes of those listening to the story. The merchant is surprised to find himself wiping tears from his own eyes. Yet you still choose to give your allegiance to Christ. I think you are remarkable as Jesus. The woman shakes her head and says with a sad smile, We do not think so. We have found a way of living, a common life that is beautiful and yes, costly at times. We share a deep hope and joy from being a small part of the work of new creation that God is doing. We experience the same sense of kononia that those first ecclesias did. She perks up, let me tell you of a life in the early days of the church. Those first believers committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, sharing a common meal and praying. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled the resources so that each person's needs was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People looked on and liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were being saved. As they shared what they had with each other so that there was not a needy person among them, they recalled the stories of their ancestors in the wilderness and God's provision of manna so everyone always had enough. God continued to give them daily bread. As time went on, they embraced the mission of God, telling the story wherever they went, finally living life together in the way that God had always intended, as God had given in Torah. They saw before their eyes the words of Deuteronomy come reality. There will be no poor among us, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God and carefully keep Torah. Other people looked on at their common life and were amazed. There was nothing in the culture that could explain what they were seeing. And the same is true for many of us. She turns to the newcomers. We are drawn to the ecclesia because of the life we saw our friends living. For in the ecclesia's people who should not be friends become friends, breaking bread together, sharing all they have with each other, unashamed to call each other sister and brother. The merchant says, The philosophers of my people write of the friendship you described, and which I see you all share, as the highest ideal of human love, which few, if any, could ever achieve. Yet here you are, fishermen and businesswomen, slaves and masters, young and old, sitting at the same table together, sharing the same bread and drinking the same cup. You're not the kind of people the philosophers thought could live this way. The woman laughs. It's no wonder that Paul wrote, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. 
Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to explore the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and fresh start comes from God by the way of Christ Jesus. The early churches certainly were communities of ragamuffins, but people kept joining them, drawn by what God was doing in their midst. They found themselves standing square in the middle of God's covenant promises to Abraham, God's blessing the nations of the world through God's people. They may have been a bunch of ragamuffins, but they were some remarkable men and women in the church. Especially women, her old friend says, lifting his cup to toast her. He turns to the merchant. Besides Dorcas, who our hosts briefly mentioned, there were also Lydia, who was the head of her household when Paul told the story of Philippi. Lydia heard him and gave her allegiance to Jesus. When she returned to her hometown, Thyatira, she told the story there, and the whole community became believers. As head of the household, she became the leader of the church that met in her home, like my dear friend here. In Thessalonica, there were some prominent Greek women who studied the scriptures with Paul and became believers. And Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, taught Apollos, a man well-versed in the scriptures. Priscilla corrected his misunderstanding of the story before he went to Corinth to lead the church there. Since the beginning, God has used both men and women to lead in Ecclesias. The woman smiles and raises her cup to her old friend and then addresses the Ecclesia. My friends, has always been a joy to share the meal with you, but now it is getting late. Before we depart our, for our homes, I would like to read from one more letter. She reaches behind her for one of her precious scrolls. This is the letter Peter wrote to the circulate among the Ecclesias to encourage and exhort us in our allegiance to Jesus. The allegiance which cost him his life. Let us listen and take his word to heart. She unrolls the scroll and reads. So clean house, make a clean sweep of malice and pretense, envy and the hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God. Now, like infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. Welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God set it in this place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests offering Christ-approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone has a foundation, will never have cause to regret it. To you who trust him, he is a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey, just as predicted. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy people, God's instruments to do God's work and speak out for God.
to tell others of the night and day difference God made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. And the woman returns the scroll to its place, and then offers some parting words to her friends. Let us remember who we are, and whose we are, and let us go to tell the story, to be God's priests in the world, to bring others into an experience of the new exodus, the return from exile, no longer estranged from God and from each other, and to partner in the work of a new creation. As the ecclesia makes their way into the night, the merchant lingers, he takes the arm of the old man as he passes, and then turns to the women, looking them both in the eyes as he says, I have one more question to ask you. The three talk late into the night in hushed, sober tones. One question turns into two, and then three, as the merchant continues to wrestle with the story of the implications of accepting the invitation he hears to find his place in it. So I want to end today's episode on an audio clip from Doug's talk called The Church is the People, and here it is. The church might not be what you think it is. Hey guys, it's me again, Douglas. And I don't know about you, but you know, me and my family, we, we always try to go to church on Sundays. You know, if, if we're sick or, or there's some other kind of emergency or something and we can't go, you know, we, we can't go. But we always try to make it a priority to go to church. And I always kind of thought that we went to church because that was God's house. You know, like in the Old Testament, the Israelites made a temple where God could come and meet with people, right? It was kind of like God's house. And they had so many rules about taking care of the temple because it was so important that, that they got it right, that they very greatly respected God's house and that they took care of it in the right way. And now that I've thought about it, I know that it's the wrong idea, but, but I always kind of thought that the temple was now the church, right? Where you go to church. Because that's where the people would gather in the Old Testament. They'd gather at the temple. So they gathered at the temple and we gather at the church. It just, it just made sense. Well, one time at church, I, I made a comment. I don't remember what I said, but I said something to my pastor about how we were at God's house. And he kind of stopped and looked at me for a second. He's like, Douglas, this isn't God's house. You are. And when he said that, it broke my little brain. Because when he said that, you know, everything, it all made sense. Like, I knew that, but I didn't know it. You know what I mean? Because, you know, the Bible says that when you are saved, when you believe in Jesus to save you from your sins that the Holy Spirit will come and live inside you. If you're a believer, you are God's temple, not the church. And when I say that you are God's temple, not the church, I mean that the church building is not God's home. The church building is where we come together to be the church. The church is the people. God lives in the heart of every believer. And all of us together make up the church, which is also called the body of Christ. Which is really cool and amazing because it means, you know, even if your church building burns down or if something comes up and we can't all be together in church, we can still be the church. And that's cool, but it's also a little bit, a little bit serious because as the church, we are meant to be the body of Christ. The church is meant to share the love of Jesus with the whole world. And that's a really big responsibility. And that responsibility does not belong just to your pastor. It belongs to you. It belongs to every Christian. So that's my challenge to you guys today is that you would be the church. That you would be 
Jesus' hands and feet, that you would show his love to everyone that you meet. And you know what else is that the body of Christ is meant to meet together. Your church building is very special because it's where you're supposed to come and meet with other believers, which is very, very important. All Christians are part of the church, and God wants all Christians to be the church together, to be the body of Christ and share the love of Jesus with the whole world. So that does bring the end of our episode today. And my closing prayer, as always, is that Jesus blesses the journey you're on with him and that you embrace that path. And next week's episode is going to be on God is your best friend. And you can connect with me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And anywhere you download your podcast, you can get Positive Light for free. Hope everybody had a great week. God bless. And we'll catch you next week.